So over these days we've been unfolding the sequence of the four Satipatthanas, um, beginning with body, which remains the ground and the uh, arena for the whole practice. Uh, and then we spent time reflecting on and practicing with Vedana, as you might possibly remember. <laughs> and uh, then the last two mornings there have been reflections on chitta, mind, minding. And maybe there's been a sense as to how these domains relate to each other, so that there's a, a sense that these are not um, separate domains of experience. They're, they're different lenses, if you like, on our experience and how it's being conditioned and shaped. And the fourth Satipatthana, um, the, 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 the term is Dhammas, D-H-A-M-M-A-S, which has many meanings. In this context, we could say it's it's kind of mental phenomena. Um, that sounds a bit abstract. Um, and certainly one way of seeing this domain is um, some templates that are profoundly helpful for our practice and for the awakening process. And in all the different versions of this sutta, in Pali and in Chinese and in Sanskrit, there are two particular templates that are unanimously included. And these are the templates of the hindrances and the awakening factors. So the hindrances uh, we've been reflecting on a bit this week and maybe you've had one or two moments of encountering them. Yeah. Uh, and we can see why there's a, a kind of natural progression, in a sense, from reflecting on mind to reflecting on, on the hindrances, can't we? You know, these are particular mental states or states of mind and body that are... Well, the, 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 the Pali, coming from the Sanskrit, literally means to cover over. They cover over, they veil clarity. Uh, they veil kind of wholesome factors of mind, obstruct, you know. And the other list that accompanies them in this four Satipatthanas, the, the list of awakening factors, is, is quite often termed anti-hindrances. <laughs> so they, they kind of fit well together these two uh, templates or lists. And in a certain way, in, uh, they, they constitute the path of practice. Um, there are um, many places in the suttas where it's said that all the, the key characteristic of all Buddhas, past, present and future, is overcoming the hindrances, practicing satipatthana, and establishing the awakening factors. <laughs> So these are really kind of integral to this this path. And there are seven of these 
literally the Pali means limbs or aspects of awakening translated often factors of awakening or supports for awakening. The first and foundational one is perhaps no surprise that it is sati, it's, it's mindfulness. It's the one of these mental factors that the Buddha says is always helpful in every situation. You know. Some of the others may not always be helpful. It's always helpful to cultivate mindfulness, mindful awareness. From that awareness, and maybe there's a there's been a really kind of experiential uh, knowing of this this week. The the second of these factors is investigation. Can we sense how the kind of awareness, the the basic present moment recollection, you, you know, at, at times it's really helpful as we've reflected a lot for that then to become investigative of experience. You know, what's happening? How does this work? You know, how does this restlessness work or how does this doubt work to cover over clarity? What does this need? <laughs> that, that more kind of compassion-oriented question. What does this need? What helps with this? And we know just how in teaching, say, MBSR or MBCT, how important our curiosity <laughs> is. And trying to invoke a sense of curiosity in the participants in our classes and say, okay, what's happening? And how does, how does this work? How does what's happening show up in body, in beliefs, in mental states, in self-view, you know, in self-story? You know? But there's a, there's a slightly later text that says that investigation is, the, is the, one of these mental factors that that is most um, uh, instrumental in bringing about awakening. You know, and it, it feels like there's something very precious in our capaci- capacity as humans to investigate our experience, to inquire into it. You know, it's hard to be completely stuck in some th- in a mental state that we're also interested in. <laughs> Do you notice that? To be interested in boredom means I'm not completely believing its narrative or to be interested in doubt. You know, there's something liberating about that. You know? And the, the teachings on this investigation highlight how it's not just about inquiring into it, but also inquiring into it in relation to the Buddha's teachings of awakening. So in relation to, say, the arising and passing. Yeah? The arising and passing of mental states or physical sensations. The investigating I- in relation to the not-self reflections that I spoke about last evening, the sense of body as body, mind as just mind, you know? So it's kind of, it's investigation 
with a particular orientation towards perspectives that are liberative, you know, that are freeing. You know. And you, you know, we may notice that there's a there's an there's an energy that comes from that curiosity, that willingness to investigate. You know. And this is the third aspect of these seven supports for awakening is the sense of energy, a sense of um, can be a sense of inspiration, you know. So we're really kind of discovering or learning and saying, oh, I'm really getting to see how uh, this kind of quiet contentment could be allowed to expand, for instance, you know. Or how this thought loop that I seem to have been stuck in can be quietened by taking attention to the soles of the feet or opening the awareness up. You know? So there's a kind of energy that follows from investigating. Sometimes we think, oh, I need energy in order to be able to practice. You know? And it's interesting, again, it's another leaning on uh, situation where actually investing investigative effort brings energy <laughs> often. And we've used this word playing a bit and that spirit of curiosity, exploration that brings energy can also have a, a joyful quality to it, which is the fourth of these qualities. You know, th there's a sense of, of uplift, there's a sense of uh, kind of... Uh, Delight, even. It's a really helpful thing to notice, the relationship between curiosity and joy. <laughs> you know, curiosity, energy, joy. What way of looking or what way of exploring really invokes that? We can see how as, as anti-hindrances, say, investigation is seen as a kind of antidote to, say, doubt. You know, doubt where there's a sense of, oh, I can't do this, I don't, you know, believe in this anyway. And just to get curious about it and investigate it rather than believe it. You know, how, how energy, which, uh, you know, there are many translations of this word, virya, energy, momentum, inspiration, even courage, could be there. It's an antidote to sleepiness, sloth and torpor, as it's traditionally dullness. Yeah. How the the joy, the kind of light, kind of and delight, is an antidote to aversion. You know, I'm in a difficult mental state. What could I enjoy right now? What could I practice enjoying? How could I incline the mind towards a sense of appreciation? You know, and sense how that will tend to soften aversion. If we're looking, well, okay, there's this difficulty here, and there's also this, you know, birdsong, silence, greenness, 
groundedness, abundant vegetable patch, you know, bunny rabbit, whatever it is, you know, that that, that kind of will tend to soften aversion as an, a kind of anti-hindrance. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we can sense how these first few are, are energizing. You know, investigation is a kind of active engagement with experience. That the energy and, and joy have a kind of aliveness to them. And they're balanced in the sequence by the next couple, the, the first of which is, we could translate it kind of tranquility, calming, easefulness. You know? Some of you in your explorations this week of collecting the heart-mind have really been noticing, okay, there's, there's the kind of enjoying the sensations in the body of, of breathing or grounding, enjoying, and actually that needs to be accompanied by a sense of relaxation, ease. Maybe in the Qigong, the mindful movement, there's been a sense of the kind of energy, but noticing that actually it's helpful also deeply to relax into the movement, or deeply to relax into the walking practice. You know, feel that's part of what helps tune the kind of energy system that we are. The Buddha's image of tuning a, a vena or a stringed instrument, where it could be too tight, could be too slack, and we kind of tune the, the, the energizing aspects with a sense of deep relaxation. We need both. You know. And these support, then, the, the sixth factor, which is the factor of samadhi. You know. A beautiful word pointing to a beautiful dimension of the practice. Christina reflected on it at the beginning of the week. We've offered other reflections Samadhi, collectedness, is the word that actually is closest to the Pali there. Sometimes it's translated as concentration, so we've said that word can feel a bit squeezed or squeezing, a bit tight. Samadhi is actually, the Buddha describes it as a, a maha quality, mahagatam, meaning kind of become great or expansive. So that sense of filling the whole body with awareness, soaking, saturating, the jug image, right? And, and that there's something about samadhi as a deeply nourished state. You know, concentration can sound a bit, you know, tight and unnourished. Collectedness, collecting the awareness into the whole body breathing in sensitive to the entire body, breathing out sensitive to the entire body, you know, enjoying and appreciating the, the, the pleasant sensations of body and breath, birdsong and silence. You know. Very much supported by all that's gone before it in this sequence. You know. and, and we can sense when there is this collectedness and this enjoyment and this relaxation, there comes a point where there isn't the same need to be looking outside for fixes. Can, can we feel that? 
you know, there isn't the same need to be thinking, oh, to get busy planning the holiday or, you know, fantasizing about lunch. And th- this anti-hindrance quality is an anti-hindrance to, to craving, <laughs> you know. What, you know, why do I need to, I don't need to be, you know, doing the kind of mental internet shopping, you know, because there's actually a loveliness that's here that I can really tune into and bask in and rest in. The Buddha describes it as like a, a, a mountain lake that is fed by streams from within, from underneath, you know, rather than needing external feeding. You know. And that collectedness supports then the final of these factors, which is the factor of equanimity, which wherever it occurs in the Buddha's templates and lists is always listed last, which is interesting because it's really the kind of north star of this practice. It's the the direction of travel to which this practice is heading, whether in its kind of Dharma context or indeed in contemporary MBIs. What we're seeking to cultivate, or at least this is a kind of hypothesis for you just to check with your own experience, is a, an alive, compassionate, appreciative, friendly equanimity, a balance, a sense of being in the midst of but un shaken ultimately by the changing dance of Vedana moment by moment. You know. Equanimity is, is this ability to be affected by but also non-reactive to non-reactive to the changing dance of pleasant and unpleasant. Responsive, yes cultivating a capacity for non-reactivity. Does does that make sense? Equanimity, again, it's a word that we don't even use in English very much, but for those who, (laughs) for whom English is not your first language, but kind of balanced mind would be a translation of it. A balanced mind. The Buddha uses the term for equanimity sometimes as a synonym for Nibbāna, so as kind of being the, if you like, the kind of psychological dimension of the experience of Nibbāna. Deep, balanced, steadiness in the midst of life, in the midst of the changing conditions moment to moment. And all the seven factors really support that. Um, so we have this, this is one of those lists that's actually really rather like the hindrances. These are two lists that it's worth committing to memory. <laughs> very, very helpful templates for one's practice. You know. And it may be that on this you know, final full day of the retreat, uh, there are certain qualities 
from this list of awakening factors that you want to dwell with and kind of cultivate, reflect a little bit upon, you know, sense how does the the quality of attention want to be tuned like the string instrument. Does it need a bit of energizing? Does it need a bit of calming and a bit of easing? You know, is it the kind of joy factor that really could do with just being allowed to bloom a bit? <laughs> or the collectedness that really gathers on this precious final you know, full day? just really gathers and integrates into the body-heart-mind of the moment. And sensing what it is as we move through the day to be cultivating uh, an equanimity in the midst of it all. This uh, list is said in the tradition to be healing, protective, inspiring and awakening. So may that be so for you today. Let's take some time to sit.
First of all, just a couple of practical announcements. Um, I needed to change the time of my group today, and I apologize that it happens in the movement session, but there wasn't another room or available to do it at this time. So there is, yeah. So my group today is, is just before, in the session before lunch. Um, there's a slight change, and the, there's some changes in the schedule this afternoon. Um, you actually don't need to think about it, but if you do make sure that you turn up here for the 2.30 sit, we can actually talk about it then. Um, the qualities that Chris has been describing, these, these are really the extended family of mindfulness. And I think they really describe the responsive nature of the practice, really being able to meet the moment with the question of what does this need? What helps me to be most awake here? Um, so it, it's really being able to have that, you know, it, it really takes mindfulness out of the domain of just watching something or observing something. It really takes mindfulness into the domain of engaging with the present moment, engaging with the mind of the moment. You know, if one sees the mind moving towards more agitation or leaning into the future, you know, the question is, what does this need? Does it need more groundedness? Does it need more equanimity? Does it need more collectedness? Um, you know, if you see the mind feeling very contracted or dull, you know, well, actually, what does this need within this family of mindfulness? Is it more investigation? Is it more curiosity? How would energy actually really come into being? And I think this question of responsiveness is very much one <clears throat> to take into the, the walking practice. I mean, it, it, it would be, I think, really unhelpful to think of the walking practice as, you know, a kind of one pace, one focus affair. You know, uh, and certainly it's so encouraged you to sort of dispense with the notion that, you know, slow equates with mindfulness. It really does not. So, you know, when you stand at the beginning of your walking path, you know, that, that question is there, you know, what is the mood of the moment? What is the mind of the moment? What is helpful here in this walking period to be most present? You know, you see if the mood feels rather flat or low. You know, it might be cultivating the, our capacity for appreciation, for gladdening, through how we use our sense doors more, more fully, more wholeheartedly in our seeing, in our listening, in our, in our touching. You know, if you feel that the mind feels quite sluggish, you know, if you walk very slowly, you'll probably walk yourself into a trance. In it. It's actually better to pick up the pace a little bit, you know, and to have um, a more spacious focus if you find the mind is quite agitated, it, even though it's counterintuitive. The collectedness is often expressed by actually slowing down more and actually making the focus of your attention more specific on the feet touching the ground. And being aware in a single walking period, the mind and the mood can change a number of times, you know. So, so too can your pace 
so too can your focus. Is it helpful to have a quite a, a narrow focus here? Is it helpful to have a wider focus? You know, really actually having that responsiveness to the changing moods in a single walking period, and that does require a certain level of inner attunement, you know, a, a real sense of, of not only the body of the moment, but also the mood of the moment, and actually being able to respond to that in a skillful way. So I think having this sense of this this extended family of mindfulness, which is not, you know, developed sequentially, is actually really describing the responsiveness, the capacity to attune and to attend and to bring, to cultivate in the moment what helps us to be actually most awake and most present. Something very much to explore in the walking practice.